Before I get started, I do want to mention that I'm recording the intro to this episode from a hotel room in Austin, Texas after attending FinCon. It's been a wonderful week, capped off by winning not one, but two completely different awards in two very different spaces. I won the Plutus Award for Best Current Events Coverage. I'm very, very excited about that. And then I also won an award on Tuesday given by Masthead Media, Women in Content Marketing. And basically the award is for freelance content marketing content (laughs) contributions. That award is for freelance content contributions. Had a really exciting week. I'll share a recap soon, but I want to get into this episode. It may feel like I'm geeking out about cryptocurrency. To be honest, I'm not. In fact, crypto still feels a little out there to me. However, I've decided that crypto is no longer some random bullshit futuristic dream that exists in the matrix. Basically, I've been waiting and watching to see who was giving crypto value. By this, what I mean is, are there countries, banks, and other public and private entities building or creating infrastructure that supports crypto as a means of financial exchange? The answer is increasingly yes. Because of this, I will continue to add content to my platform with the focus of educating my audience and myself on the use of crypto and how it works because I want to increase educated accessibility to this new asset class. I don't want to hear about people going broke because they didn't understand the risk they were taking by investing in this asset class and investing in crypto. Gabby Hui, Chief Communications Officer at Merkle Science, is my guest in this week's episode. In this episode, she drops a lot of knowledge about crypto and a lot more context around some of the questions that I have about cryptocurrency. I really encourage you to listen to this episode, especially if you are crypto curious. I'm a huge fan of the envelope system. And in fact, the one weakness with the system is the fact that you can lose your cash. The envelope system was one of the ways that helped me organize my cash while paying off over $60,000 in debt. I really wish Cube Money had been around when I started my journey. Cube Money is a digital envelope app that pairs with a Visa debit card. Your cash is kept in an FDIC insured account. Cube Money is a great way to keep your money organized while you're on the go. Cube Money is the envelope system on steroids. I love it so much and I'm a proud affiliate. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more. Please note that I may be compensated based on the actions that you take. I currently use the free option of Cube Money. I love making money with eBooks. It's literally my favorite passive income stream. Grow your brand or explore your creativity writing eBooks. I've developed my course, Make Money with eBooks, to help would-be authors, especially from underrepresented communities, finish their books, make money, and share their stories via self-publishing. If you'd like to start a personal finance brand or other online focused business and brand and are looking for tips, information, and ideas on how to grow an online business that serves your ideal clientele, is positive, and leads with equity, check out my new project, The Brand Building Lab. The Brand Building Lab. Sorry, you guys, I've totally lost my voice. Where I talk about all things online business building. If you want to learn how to design products and how to attract projects that pay, definitely go and listen to the Brand Building Lab podcast or read the content on the website. Okay, let's talk crypto. Crypto. 
excited to geek out even more about cryptocurrency because it's something that still still feels a little out there in my brain. I get on the surface level what it's all about, but I I feel like I needed to have more conversations about this currency, this movement, what's behind it, how it could be used in terms of creating equity across the world or just shopping or whatever it is we imagine it being used for. I am Jeanette. I sometimes, when I think of crypto, I think of the matrix and I think of all these weird random ass things that have nothing to do with crypto. But because I'm into um, reading about the future and Star Trek and dystopian things, my mind goes one way. That's why I try to be informed and I learn things and I have these conversations. Now, I had a Bitcoin decoded conversation with Jesse Kramer from The Best Interest earlier this month. And now I'm speaking with another guest who's about to introduce herself, who's going to get us, like, have us go a little deeper into this conversation about why crypto is so exciting, why people are really um, moving forward with it, what, like, basically the future is now. So Gabby, if you could do me a favor and introduce who you are and what you do, that would be fantastic. Sure. And thanks for having me on your podcast today, Michelle. So my name is Gabby Hui. I work in and blockchain and crypto, like we, like you said, but you know, so what I do is I'm actually the head of communications at a firm called Merkle Science. I've been in the crypto space since October, 2017. I'm working for a PR agency uh, in New York. Before that, I was in financial services PR. Uh, so when I moved into blockchain and crypto, naturally my clients uh, fell under the, the blanket of, or actually the intersection of finance and blockchain. Definitely have had the privilege of working with some of the biggest brands, exchanges in crypto with their global communication strategy. I did start off in New York and then about two years ago, moved with my past agency to Singapore to kind of like help grow their Singapore office. And uh, and then it's been wild, wild ride. And, you know, it's been really exciting watching more people and also uh, financial institutions really adopt crypto as an actual asset class and and watching that develop. But yeah, that's essentially what I do. Uh, I think communications, it puts me at a very interesting spot because I have to know enough about the technology for and, and really like believe in it but really simplify, you know, what it is and how it can be used and all that. Uh, so a lot of my role has to do with educating on what crypto is, but also what it isn't. And I really do believe that when people understand the risks and the benefits, it does take away a lot of the fear and, you know, you can invest or not invest according to kind of your tolerance for risk. So yeah, very happy to be here. I'm going to be nosy and ask kind of a personal question which is when you first started working with organizations that were specifically, basically representing organizations focused on crypto, were you familiar with it yourself? And did you go through an education process and purchase it as well? Like there's understanding how it works and then there's being an investor to some degree. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking if you've invested a million dollars. I'm just (laughs) saying, what was it like for you to... 
I think, get involved on a personal level, because I think in order to be in the infancy of something like this, you have to be pretty sold on it. So could you share a little bit of that personal experience with it, if, if that is something that you have, which I think you do? Yeah, yeah, happy to do so. I think when I first started, I wasn't like 100% bought in, but my old agency, which is an agency called Waxman in New York, uh, led by this gentleman named David Waxman, he was a really great mentor to me. And he was so like enthusiastic about um, the space and he believed in it so much. And, you know, he, he jokes about how I grilled him, you know, basically during the interview, just being like, you know, why do you want to be in this space and stuff like that? And I just remember this so vividly that he was like, you know, Gabby, like I spoke to some of the smartest people in the world about kind of like emerging technologies and all of the really brilliant people are really moving into this blockchain and crypto space. And I want to be where all the smart people are. And I was just like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So when I started, definitely had to do a lot. It was diving into the deep end and having to read a lot of white paper. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes when you, you hear about like tokens and projects with tokens, they would have white papers where they kind of talk about the mechanism of the tokens and how it's actually going to be used. It, it was literally me just like printing out pages and pages just because I absorb information better. And then with me with my highlighter and my pen and kind of <laughs> just trying to absorb what people are saying, whether or not it makes sense. And I think, you know, coming from a background of not crypto um, and and more from like a traditional finance PR background where, you know, I, I did work with like investment banks and brokerage firms and like some really big names uh, in, in, in finance. I think it kind of gave me a little bit of a skeptical eye, which I think is, is good right? Because of course you need the believers uh, in the space, but you also need people who will be like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but does this actually make sense? Does this project actually need cryptocurrency? Does this actually need a token? Right? So I think I, I came with it like with a skeptical eye and it really helped because, you know, when I was talking about cryptocurrencies and tokens to reporters or, you know, people who are just being introduced to the space, I understand where they're coming from because I still kind of like approach it from that perspective as well. What are some of the biggest objections that you're finding people have with either the adoption of a cryptocurrency or just what seems to be a roadblock in people's understanding of how crypto could work for them? I think a roadblock is maybe that, and I think, I definitely think this is changing. I think that people don't understand what gives it quote unquote, its value, right? Mm -hmm. And because they don't understand what gives it its value, the big fluctuations in the price of cryptocurrencies uh, and Bitcoin most notably really scares people, right? Because, you know, basic like finance basics, as as you know, buy the S&P 500, go buy an ETF, that sort of thing. It's it's steadier. It's it's slower. Like people, people, fluctuations aren't as detrimental. I do think that the big volatility in the space really does scare people. And then, you know, I do have a bunch of banker friends as well. And a lot of times what I hear is like, I don't understand the fundamentals. So what that means is really in finance, oftentimes 
you will look at the way that a certain commodity or asset class is performing, right? And then you're lo you're looking at the patterns of it going up and down and being like, okay, because of this trend, I think that, you know, and there are models of you know, people who are much smarter than me who do this, you know, they, they can model a certain asset and, and be like, okay, I think this is going to be, be the peak. So I should sell now. And then, you know, it, it'll, it'll probably fall after a certain while. And I think, you know, people are, people say to me, it's like, they, I don't understand the fundamentals, what actually gives it its its value, what actually makes it move up and down, that sort of thing. And I, I say to that is that compared to a lot of other asset classes that we are familiar with, like gold or currencies like the US dollar or equities like stocks, cryptocurrencies have really been only been around for what, like 12, 13 years, you know, there definitely lacks time and data and through time and data is when you actually see patterns of how people react and and will buy and sell certain types of asset classes so it's really only a matter of time and i think now people are are becoming more sophisticated with the way that they are you know using uh cryptocurrencies so for example you know in the last couple of years you know, there has been a lot of central banks around the world that have been trying to print money. I, I, you know, you may have heard of this, but like, you know, they have been printing money kind of in, in hopes to stimulate the economy. Right? right. But a lot of traditional investors are actually buying Bitcoin as a way to hedge against inflation because Bitcoin you know, the supply of it, you can't just print it, right? It's embedded in the code. It's, you know, it's steady. There's a limit to how many Bitcoins are going to be uh, created. You know, there, it, this is all built in the code. And also the rate at which it is created also slows down, right? So all of this is built into the code, but the supply of it is, is controlled through the code. So, you know, and investors have been leveraging Bitcoin as a hedge against fiat inflation. I would love it if you could describe a little bit more in depth what exactly Merkle does, Merkle Science. And um, my understanding is that you guys are creating systems that support all types of cryptocurrencies for, for the most part. And just if you could walk us through what you guys are doing, I, I think it would be really interesting to the listeners and also to myself um, to hear more about what is going on. Yeah, absolutely. So you're almost there. I think like, you know, it is definitely very complicated. So, you know, it's, it's what we do, Merkle Science, we are a predictive cryptocurrency risk and intelligence platform where for right now we are focusing on blockchain uh, analytics and uh, investigations. So what that means is that we actually help crypto companies, financial institutions, government entities, that those sort of entities to detect, investigate, and also prevent illegal activities involving crypto cryptocurrencies. So essentially, we for any businesses that have crypto moving in and out of it, we will help monitor for the transactions for po potential money laundering, or you know, if there is stolen funds, right, and it's they're trying to move it onto a crypto exchange to try to exchange it to fiat, we will monitor for those funds moving into the exchange. And then we can flag it to the crypto exchanges being like, hey, this is actually illicit funds and under regulations, uh, you have to, there are obligations like anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing obligations for financial services companies to report that and to escalate it and deal with it with regulators. Our tool allows for this type of monitoring, you know, just as, you know, in, in traditional financial services, um, you know, there are 
transaction monitoring companies. We focus specifically right now on crypto. And also, you know, we can do due diligence reports where, you know, we make do deep dives into a transaction, seeing, you know, the, the the number of times that the funds have been moved in the past and kind of like where it's gone uh, and where it's going, where it's been split, that sort of thing. And then we also do know your business blockchain reports, right? So sometimes companies will come to us, they may be looking to invest in, in a company that has crypto exposure, right? So it may be they, they're looking to invest into a crypto exchange, or it doesn't even need to be an exchange, it could be just like, you know, a, another company that has investments in crypto. And you know, they, they may give us one of their addresses, like the wallet addresses associated with their crypto. And what we'll do is that we'll also identify other crypto wallets that are associated with this wallet and be like, okay, these are ones that we know for sure are associated uh, with these wallets and, you know, whether or not there's any illicit activity connected to any of them. And then there's like even more advanced tools that will be like, okay, through things like clustering and heuristics that I have no idea how that stuff actually works, but our really brilliant <laughs> uh, data science team does all that stuff. But they will also identify to a pretty high percentage, the probability that these other wallets are also associated with this individual and whether or not there's also illicit activity there. So it's a lot of monitoring, flagging for potential illicit activity. And then when that happens, also doing deep dives into the transactions themselves in order to kind of try to prevent money laundering. Are you guys also at the forefront of recovering funds, such as the funds that were transferred over to hackers recently, like the US and other countries are, we're currently experiencing a lot of attacks against our, our grid, our electric grid and other utilities. And then people are being, these companies are being bribed in terms of having these assets released back to them after being paid in Bitcoin. Are mm -hmm. these people just dumb and don't realize that there are people who are actually tracking this information. And I'm thinking about this because I know that the U.S. government helped recover, or maybe it was you guys, a whole bunch of money that was recently wired over to hackers who had um, had held held a grid against its will. And I'm going to yeah. have to figure out what that was because it was just literally two weeks ago. But was it the colonial pipeline? Yes. Yes. This is what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it just is strange to me that these hackers don't realize that there, there is a mechanism to watch what they're doing because in order for a Bitcoin transaction like that to go through, everyone has to confirm that it's happened. Like they have to validate that transaction. Am I, am I right in thinking this? The term validate in Bitcoin and crypto is a little bit different from the way that we think about validation on, you know, in a traditional kind of transfer from a bank, like one bank account to another. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, like definitely, you know, on the, on public blockchains, especially, and then we we're not even getting into kind of like private cryptocurrencies, privacy coins like Monero or Dash, where it's like they are created to be not traceable. But let's just keep it simple and, and talk about like token, uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that are actually on public blockchains. Yes, it is traceable. However, you know, there are, it's very, very simple to create new wallets 
that are not identified with a specific uh, individual, you know, and for criminals to create a lot of these different wallets. So on, yeah, so like bank account, for example, you would probably have to do a lot of KYC checks, right? It's like you have to identify who you are, and you have to have certain pieces of government, you know, ID and like, you know, your SIN number, like the social security number, uh, that sort of thing in order to identify who you are. So it's like people know exactly that this bank account has to is associated with Michelle. But for, and that if I send you funds that uh, this account is coming from Gabby's account, right? So it's like, it's very, it's like identified, but you don't always have to have wallets that are tied to identity. Right. So that is one issue. And then the other issue is that oftentimes crypto transfers are very fast. Right. So sometimes in uh, traditional finance, it may take what, like 24 hours to kind of move funds from one country to another. It's sped up a lot, but it's still 24 hours or something to that time frame. Whereas crypto, I can move that from one place to another, probably within minutes. And in order to kind of like for that to be stopped, you have to know that it's happening and you have to be able to follow it and track it because of its speed. Criminals can do things, a lot of things in a very short period of time in order to try to evade detection and identification of who they are. One of the things I'm, I'm intrigued by or just curious about is there seems to be a tension between the spirit of the currency and what a lot of countries are trying to force it to do. And and by this, what I mean is crypto seems to be a very like decentralized type of currency and way of trade. And there's a freedom within that. Like a lot of people are really attracted to the fact that it's not necessarily attached to a country, but it feels like there is a movement among countries to figure out ways to tax these funds and Mm. have more control over it. What Mm. would you say about this tension? Sure. I think it's interesting because it comes from the right place, I think, in terms of the regulators trying to put some sort of, you know, controls around it. A lot of what regulations are that are are being trying government entities around the world are trying to put in place have to do with money laundering, right? We're trying to put some guardrails in order to try to control, prevent, but also if there is money laundering happening, that we're able to track it and be able to identify those who are involved, right? Right. And I so, so I do think that it comes from a good place. I understand that, you know, so, so I think there's a a lot of times too, like when you're talking about people who are building these cryptocurrencies, they come from like a very tech perspective, which is great. Like, you know, innovative, like really want to think outside the box. How can we do this better? And there's a lot of resistance against uh, regulations, which is understandable. But I also think that there needs to be learning involved in the sense that like there are reasons why these regulations have been put in place globally. There have been regulations are put there because of the way in which people have abused financial systems traditionally, right? For money laundering purposes, for Ponzi schemes, for trying to take advantage of those who do not have enough uh, knowledge and education about the space. Any sort of regulations, I like, you know, I do see them as trying to protect like the general masses who may not have as much knowledge of 
the asset class, the space as, you know, someone who is involved in the industry or like builds the technology. I do think it comes from a good place. I do think that when you are overly stringent with regulations, it does hamper innovation, which is of concern. And I think, you know, definitely global regulators understand this. But yeah, I think it's important uh, for, for there to be education on both sides so that we can create regulations that try to stymie any sort of money laundering, criminal activity, and yet will still allow for development, innovation uh, within the space. In order for crypto to gain more legitimacy, it basically has to be adapted widely. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious about some of the complexities in making that happen. Recently, Tesla was like, no, we're not taking Bitcoin. And then Elon, of course, was like, yes, we're going to take it now. <laughs> um, I feel I feel like that's just his MO. He's, he's flexible. But I'm curious about how these currencies can gain legitimacy mm. if countries are like, no, we're not going to do this. Or depending on the countries that say, yes, we're going to do it. So currently, I know that El Salvador has said that Bitcoin is a mode of trade. I've heard rumblings that perhaps Nigeria might be the next country that says yes, I could be completely off with this, but in my wanderings online, it seems like Nigeria might be one of those countries as well. I'm curious, are you guys seeing an expansion of the use of these different currencies like Ethereum, Bitcoin, and mm-hmm. Doge? And, and what what's the trajectory? Like, is it growing or is it just something that might be a fly-by-night thing? I, I mean, it's been 12 years, so I'm leaning towards <laughs> no. But you never know, like it's only 12 years in history, history of the world. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And and I think that's a question that a lot of people have, especially when they're just approaching cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. So I do think that, first of all, we have to understand that different tokens and different cryptocurrencies out there do different things, right? I mean, Bitcoin being the OG uh, of cryptocurrencies, I mean, it's... If you read the Bitcoin white paper, you know, in terms of transferring value, I mean, I think it's proven to be a really good holder of value. I think over the years, it's proven that, you know, you can really accumulate value through and wealth through Bitcoin, right? But if you actually look at other different types of tokens, there are ones that are created specifically for transfer and remittance, like cross-border transfer and actually being used for payments. Because for something to be used as payments, there has to be some sort of steady price, right? Like you can't be like, this piece of bread costs me like X amount in this token. By the time I walk over to the cashier, it's a different price. Like it has to be, it has to be quite steady, you know, in order for it to be used for payments. And for Ethereum, like the the code allows for people to build apps on top of it and be able to use it in different ways like that. So I think that there's that nuance of the fact that like different cryptocurrencies are, are built and used for different things. And as crypto keeps growing, people will keep building different types of cryptocurrency to kind of suit different situations. So it'll be exciting to see that. And then in order to kind of like gain legitimacy, I think there are a few things that need to happen. First, it does need to achieve scale. So I think like Bitcoin obviously has scale. Ethereum has scale. But like, you know, we were still kind of like trying to see, you know, and there are a few that do have scale, but not necessarily to that degree. And it'll be good to kind of like see more people move into investing in other tokens, trying to use other tokens. And we are starting to see that, right? Like people are starting to explore 
things like Doge, like you said, and other types of cryptocurrency and kind of like seeing what's out there. I think also what is needed is uh, ease of use, right? I think there has been significant strides that have been made, you know, in, in the past couple of years in terms of trying to make crypto usable for, you know, your grandma, essentially, <laughs> and, and make it easy, right? You know, people have been exploring things like QR codes and stuff like that, just to try to make it as simple as possible, while still keeping it very, very secure. And then I think last but not least, you know, regulations, right? It's like, you know, as I was saying before, regulations are really important. And I think, you know, aside from money laundering, you know, if you really want financial institutions and banks to move into the space, there needs to be regulations. Banks and traditional financial institutions are already subjected to a lot of regulations when it comes to things like consumer protection and anti-money laundering, right? If they're seen to not comply with regulations, their licenses and their ability to do business can be taken away. That, that, that's like a huge threat for them. So in order for them to truly move into crypto and with that actually comes a lot of investment into innovation and like new ways of doing things that, you know, you may not be able to do as a startup. You know, we have to have regulations in place that are clear, but that are not like prohibitive. That's what we think like is probably a key part that people don't necessarily focus on enough in terms of trying to make crypto legitimate and really become a key pillar of the traditional financial system. One of the things I thought about in having this conversation with you, as well as with Jesse, was the idea of credit cards, actually, and how in 1950, I think it was like 1956, they did the MasterCard drop is basically what they called it. And they just had 50,000 plastic squares and they dropped it in the San Francisco area. And they're like, hey guys, we've got this thing called a credit card. I think it was a diner's club, but they were, they were like, this is what we want you to do with this. And people were like, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. And it, and they actually, the company lost money or the bank lost money for a while until they refined their process. Like they had to learn from the behavior of the, of the consumer and educate them. And mm -hmm. I mentioned this because clearly there are different ways of making trades, like different types of currencies out there that we use that maybe in our heads we don't realize are actually in the grand scheme of things new. Apple Pay. I don't have Apple Pay because I, I, you know what? I bought a MacBook Pro. I've bought a MacBook Air. I feel like that's enough of a commitment. But having Apple Pay or some of these similar systems, I think, is similar to what crypto is trying to do. There, there's like this buy-in with the earlier early adapters and then there's the like the second wave of people who they're kind of early adapters and they're kind of curious they're bitcoin curious they're crypto curious and then there's like the rest of the people who are like okay you need to teach me what the hell this is because i don't have time to be reading these white papers for <laughs> the people who are like we're not reading a white paper to understand crypto because i i feel like I understand that we give value, like with money, we give value to a piece of paper and coins. Mm -hmm. And, and I, it's interesting to me that you have banker friends who are like, we don't understand the value. I'm like, it's what we put on it. Like as a capitalist, vaguely, because I am American, like it's in our DNA, there's this, this whole thing, like the market, you know, will drive a price or mm -hmm. create the demand. And I feel like that's similar with how crypto kind of functions. 
But I'm trying to figure out how do we educate people to not overthink what it is and just to use the coins? Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of fear around it. And a lot of my friends kind of don't want to go into it because they're like, oh, yeah, I I don't get it. But like the the beauty about crypto and and, and the space is that, you know, you can literally just dip your toe in it. And you made a really good point earlier, and I, I forgot to answer this, but like when I started, you know, really just buying a little bit of Bitcoin, that the thing about buying Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies is that unlike buying a stock, you don't have to buy a full Bitcoin in order to get into the space. You can put in as much or as little as you want, right? And it will just give you a fraction of, of a Bitcoin. And that's the beauty of it. So I could just put in $100 and, and see what happens with it. But I think like, unless you interact with it, you're not going to spend the time to actually try to figure out like movements or like, oh yeah, like when I, when the, the government announced that it's going to do another stimulus program and how that is affecting the price of the Bitcoin, like, you know, you're not going to pay attention to it as closely unless you are actually invested in it. And you can just start like, you know, with a small amount and, you know, and, 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 and see what happens. And, and that's how you start learning. And then you'll start paying attention to podcasts or, you know, articles that are being written about it. And and that's how you learn. And and unfortunately, I do think that there's still a lot of like fear mongering a little bit in traditional media when it comes to crypto. I think there is that lack of understanding that is 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 where the fear comes from. So I do think that it is very important, like especially in my role as a communicator within the space, uh, is to really try to take the fear out of it and and the, try to explain as best I can um, of how this stuff works and what are kind of the impl- implications of cryptocurrency. Currently, mining crypto takes a significant amount of energy because the servers have to fire up and all that. Is there research being done to kind of mitigate this issue and have it be a lot more earth friendly? I am a tree hugger. <laughs> and, and, and so this is actually something that does concern me when I look at how crypto is created. I, I'm also annoyed by how regular cash is made too. So I'm an equal opportunity, like irritated person, but is there communication to you guys on what people are trying to do to mitigate that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting conversation and people keep going back and forth on this on kind of like, what is the carbon footprint of crypto mining, right? There are major pieces of research that are being conducted, but essentially I think that it's, it's, it's a bigger problem than just the crypto industry, right? Because as you can imagine, essentially like where servers are and and there are kind of like mining pools and farms nowadays where like it is very, very centralized. It's not just like, you know, someone's computer, like, you know, set up in their basement trying to mine for crypto. Like it doesn't really work that way anymore. Like there are definitely like farms out there that use up a lot of energy to kind of like, you know, do the calculations on the code and in order to mine quote unquote, mine the cryptocurrencies. And as you can imagine, because of its consumption, you know, they, these farms will go where energy is cheapest. And in some places, it's cheaper to use renewables than it is to use coal, right? So then in in that instance, it's like, I, I think, you know, actually, like, 
oftentimes a big portion of crypto that is being mined is using renewables, right? There are different estimates to this. You know, there, there is a CoinShares paper, research paper that estimated that 74% of Bitcoin mining is powered by renewables. Of course, you know, there, there's another piece of uh, research from the Christian Stoll. He's an energy researcher at the Technical University of Munich who, who says otherwise and that this, this percentage is much lower. But I think like there has to be like increased policies to encourage, you know, renewable energies to be used around the world and making it cheaper. So as, you know, innovations keep developing and, and renewables are cheaper, then cryptocurrency is, crypto mining is going to be also more dependent on renewables. And I think there are also developments being made right now in terms of the chips inside the mining rigs, trying to make them more energy efficient. And I, I think that's just good business practices, trying to keep, you know, your costs low. I think naturally people want to like kind of move in that direction. And I think it's really only a matter of time before we can really get to a place where, you know, it's, it's not largely dependent on coal. We're starting to wrap up our conversation. You've been so gracious. Like this is, this has been a great, great conversation. And I have a couple of last questions. So the first is, as countries and businesses are adapting crypto, what are some of the insights this adaption process has given you guys as an industry or as a company into the future of crypto? Yeah, I think it's really, really interesting kind of seeing the ways in which it is being used. I mean, like earlier, you you did mention El Salvador and how, you know, they became the first country to really adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So what that means is that, you know, when it comes to legal tender in the courts, you know, you can basically like pay debt, you can pay taxes, that sort of thing. It's it's recognized as an official currency where you can actually kind of like settle claims and that type of thing. So that's actually what what they did in El Salvador. And, you know, why they did that, and I think like there has been a lot of adoption from LATAM in countries like El Salvador, Brazil, Argentina, where their own fiat currency that they have locally is even less stable than Bitcoin. So these countries are adopting cryptocurrencies and not just Bitcoin, but also other ones you know, to kind of like replace it and to use on a day-to-day basis, right? These are countries that may be seeing significant inflation so that, you know, their their own currency is not dependable or, you know, they, they may have significant capital controls, right? Where the government or their central bank or regulatory body is trying to limit the flow of foreign capital in and out of uh, their own country. So with these controls, using cryptocurrencies will allow them to bypass and or at least like try to mitigate some of these issues that are kind of like harming the way in which they're 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 the citizens of the country can use the wealth that they have accumulated you know yeah they, they look to things like bitcoin as a store of wealth that is steadier than their current currency and to transact internationally so yeah, I mean, like, it, it's interesting, too, because like, you know, we're also seeing Central American countries, Caribbean islands, they're trying to wean off of their US dollar dominance, right? And I, I think that, that that can, you know, launch into another conversation about kind of like international politics and all that stuff. But I think, you know, wanting to kind of like get some more autonomy over uh, their own economy, these countries are also looking at uh, cryptocurrencies that are not attached to a specific country, 
uh, to try to see if there's options like you know for them. So I think it's it's incredibly exciting. And yeah, and then it, the thing is, I think it also allows for new infrastructure to be built. You know, earlier you mentioned that you know there it, it helps with financial access, and I completely believe that. I think that definitely there are. Parts of the world that do not have access to banks or you know easy、uh, financial transactions, ability to invest the way that we are used to, simply because you know infrastructure was not built to reach them. And with crypto, I think it's 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 an opportunity to be able to build those railroads and railways in order to reach these people in in a new way. So and you know and, and allow them to really build and accumulate wealth and also. Kind of like transfer wealth from generation to generation. So I do think it's it's incredibly exciting. And yeah, no, people are super innovative and creative with the way that they are building around crypto. So it's you know I'm sure in ten years it's going to look completely different from、uh, you know what we're seeing now. I'm just trying to imagine how crypto will get into the hands of an average person. Living in El Salvador, and my first thought was cell phones,、mm-hmm. um, and just having access, like if if you have internet access and access to platforms similar to Coinbase and things like that, that's、mm-hmm. that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and really, it's it's true. Like you just need the internet, and essentially, you have access to a way of transferring funds, moving value, accumulating wealth. Like you know, it, it's it's really really exciting that you know this technology is allowing for this. All of a sudden, I just started thinking very deeply, and I'm <laughs> I, I almost feel like I'm going to have to sit on a mountain somewhere and just think about this. But my last question to you is this. What is it that you would like people to know, like the listeners to know, about the opportunities and risks that come with being an early adapter to whichever cryptocurrency they may be intrigued by?、Mm. Yeah, I think when you are an early, you know, the earlier you get into, of course, the the opportunity for returns is. That much greater, right? That's just in general. You know, when you you invest into anything, of course, if you invest into a company that's publicly traded already, you can still make money. But of course, if you started from a seed round, like you know, that wealth would just like you know, it, it, the the returns are so much higher when you start from the very beginning, right? That's just very very typical. But I do think that you know, for those who are just moving into crypto and are looking to explore. Cryptocurrencies that may aren't necessarily like the top 100 coins or even like the top five coins. Like I, I think that you know you need to spend a little bit of time to understand the risks that are involved. Aside from just the volatility of it, you know, really dig into the team. Like learn about the team, learn about the the, the technology behind it. You know, sometimes there are vulnerabilities in the code. So we're we're, we're talking about tech risks right now, right? right. So there are possible vulnerabilities. In the code that can be leveraged by scammers, you know the, the the crypto community is a very open source community, and you know people tend to share a lot of these things online. And there are white hat hackers that will go to a protocol, they will test it out for vulnerabilities, and you can find actually these stress tests online. 
right? So you can actually see where they are actually vulnerable, you know, talk to a lot of people who are, you know, who understand this space, get their opinion in terms of, you know, whether or not a certain team has a good track record of building projects, you know, or whether or not they're known to be scammers and have done previous projects where they did these things called rug pulls, what we call rug pulls, which is essentially selling a token with the promise that, you know, they're going to build this project out and everything. And then they essentially just run away with the money. So that's a rug pull. Uh, and they pull the one. rug from underneath you. Yep. Oh. Exactly. So, so that's, that's kind of what course you want to avoid, but then of course, you know, once you've done all that due diligence, there are risks, like any sort of startups that are out there, there are opportunities like for failure and the failure rate can be quite high. I think, you know, just dabble in it. Don't bet like your entire life savings on it. I would not, <laughs> I would advise against that. Um, but you know, if, if you truly believe in what they're trying to do, you know, the same way that you would kind of like think about it when you're, we're looking to buy a, a stock, right. Or an ETF that is, is, is based around renewables, maybe since you're, you know, you're definitely a so-called tree hugger, tree you know, hugger. Yeah, look into it, right? Dive into what what it's actually made of, like who is the team that's in charge of it, whether or not you actually believe in what it is that they're doing, whether that sounds interesting to you, and then, you know, invest in it. And you just need to kind of like understand that it is risky, especially if you're starting at at that stage. And yeah, best of luck, but you know, just... (laughs) keep your eye on kind of the developments of the project and yeah, keep your ear out on what's going on in the industry. Gabby, you are awesome. You're a great communicator. This is not an easy topic to talk about, especially given that, yes, my audience, I think is very sophisticated, but I do think that Bitcoin and crypto is still so new that a lot of people are still not quite understanding what the hell it is. And so I think that you've definitely, one, just distilled a lot of information. I'm going to have to listen to this episode a couple different times. But two, I think it's clear to me that I'm going to have to do more conversations around what crypto could do and the capacity and policy around the development of this currencies or of these currencies. I appreciate your time so much. What you guys are doing at Merkle Science sounds so cool that if I didn't hate humidity and heat, I would (laughs) run to Singapore and work with you and wear weird Matrix clothing because I'm into the the movie, The Matrix. And you would be like, Michelle, you're the only person who's gained 50 pounds living in Singapore because I would go out to eat all the time because the food's so good. (laughs) You think I'm joking. I'm so serious. Thank you so, so much for your expertise and your time. And I'm just excited for you to be at the forefront of this technology. I'm going to keep my eyes out my eyes open and keep like kind of checking out what you guys are up to. And I'm actually going to read this Bitcoin white paper. I had no idea about these white papers. This again, it's, it was new to me and I'm nerdy enough and fascinated enough that I will be spending one of my weekends this summer reading a few of these. (laughs) I absolutely suggest that you do that. I mean, the Bitcoin white paper itself is actually only nine pages long. It's not that long. Okay. Yeah. And it's actually quite elegant in the way that it is written and easy to understand. So that would definitely be my first suggestion in terms of like entering into the the space, at least read that Bitcoin white paper. 
Okay, listeners, you heard it first. And just, is there a way for us to kind of support what you do? Or are you like cloak and dagger? Like, how does that work? You mean my company? Well, you, like normally with guests, we're like, and if you'd like to follow our guest and support (laughs) what they do, how can we do that for you? Yeah, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn if you would like to connect. Happy to answer any other questions that you have. I can share my LinkedIn with you later, Michelle. But also uh, on Twitter, um, my company, Merkle Science, also has uh, LinkedIn and Twitter accounts that you can follow. Be creating a lot of content for you know in in the next next little bit to really help support the education of the space. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out. Oh well, I just signed up for that and. Thank you. And I truly do appreciate your time. Now, thank you for your time. And thanks for having me. 